Man, how's everyone doing tonight? Uh, that was not loud enough. How is everyone doing tonight? <laughs> Great. Hey, I'm really happy to be up here. I'm really happy to be with you all. Um, I want you to know that Eric and I really cherish this time tonight. Um, so thanks for letting us be up here. I just want to pray over this message, over y'all and over tonight. God, just thank you so much for um, your love for us, God. Thank you for pouring out your love onto this community. God, I just pray that each one of us in here tonight would have ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, that we might just respond to your love. Mm. God, would you just give us humility? Lord, I just pray for every single person in here that there would just be one thing that you could bring to life for them tonight that they could walk home with. Amen. So tonight, I want to dive together into this idea of identity. And um, there's a lot to say about identity. It's kind of a big thing, but we've got a little bit of time. So we're going to do what we can, okay? So the definitions you find about identity online, um, they, point more so, they point more so towards who a person is, not what a person does. So for example, one definition says identity means the set of qualities and beliefs that make one person or group different from others. Another says it's a condition or character as to who a person or what a thing is. Yet another one calls it a person's sense of self established by their unique characteristics, affiliations, and social roles. roles. And one last one that I thought was interesting says who you are, the way you think about yourself, the way you are viewed by the world, and the characteristics that define you. So there's a couple things that I want to point out to you, given these definitions. Um, and while I really don't think they cover everything, and in my opinion, I think they fall short of a deeper reality, we still can learn from them, learn about them. So the first thing is that while these definitions are speaking to an individual or a group's sense of being rather than the doing, our sense of being really does influence our doing. So the qualities, the beliefs, the conditions, sense of self, affiliation, social roles, all those things that those definitions we're speaking about can influence how we choose to behave, what we do, and why we do it. The second thing is that the sense of self and of being, according to these definitions, is also not just coming from the self alone, but from others or another. And the third is that they don't necessarily speak to who we are, but rather who we believe ourselves to be, not just based on our inner qualities, but the external world's influence or perception of us as well. So with these things noted just for now, I want us all to keep a few questions in mind throughout tonight. So the first is, who am I? Whose am I? And how does this influence who I am? And then what should I do in light of these two things? So for those of you who don't know, um, my husband Eric and I just moved to Boulder. I know it doesn't seem like it because we keep coming back. <laughs> you can't get rid of us. Tonight's the night, though, I promise, okay? <laughs> um, so we, we just moved there so we can help bring Kyle there. And a few years ago, we began seeking the Lord about whether he was wanting us to, one, pioneer at Kyle meaning start it up, and two, pioneer in Boulder. And looking back on that season now, I can easily say that he brought up to my heart 
something that I think any one of us can relate to, but I, I believe something especially um, that most people in this room, um, whether you're in college or fresh out of college, wondering who am I um, and what should I be doing with my life, they can relate to that. You can relate to that. I can relate to that. So as we continue to seek the Lord, what he impressed upon my heart more strongly, I think, than anything else about Boulder or pioneering was this idea that there are so many external influences speaking, this is who you are, and this is who you need to be, or you belong to yourself, and therefore you can decide who you are over these students at the campus at CU. And in a sense, those influences are creating their own banner over the city, saying to each one of the students that comes on campus, this is who you are, this is, how, this is who we are, so this is who you need to be. But I believe Jesus spoke to my heart and said, I want to be their banner. I want to redeem the banner they have so that they can find their true identity in me. Not me, Jesus, you know, God. <laughs> I believe with all my heart that he longs the same for you tonight, that you would find or be reminded of your true identity, your true, not earned, not self-established identity in him. So I would like to submit to you um, as well as dive into this idea that your true identity can only be found in Christ alone. And I want to unpack this tonight by looking at our identity in Christ as children. So here we go. So I have a, an extremely tight neck. Um, my chewing muscles are rather tense if you've ever felt them. <laughs> and I've got a lower, I've got a tight lower back, tight neck. I get migraines sometimes. So anyway, I justify, therefore, receiving massages once a month um, to relieve some of that tension. And I see the same massage therapist every week, um, sorry, not every week. That would be a little bougie. I go every month. I see her every month. And I've gotten to know her over the last six months. A couple days ago, she and I got to talk during my massage, actually almost the whole time. One of the things that came up was our family backgrounds. And she was telling me that as she grew up as a kid, she started noticing a lot of differences between her and her family um, that didn't really make a lot of sense. Um, but she figured she could just justify that with, you know, recessive genes and um, science just being really surprising sometimes. And she said she noticed that she and her sister were tall and blonde, while her parents and most of her other relatives were shorter and had brown hair. And she said it never really made sense to her why she loved sports and loved photography when none of her family was artistic or sporty and all of them were short and brown-haired while she was tall and blonde-haired. Until one day she found out through a DNA test that she had different roots from her parents. And her mom explained to her that she had a donor dad that was different from the dad she knew. That's a long story I don't need to tell tonight. But she got to meet who she calls her donor dad and realized, wow, this makes more sense I came from this man, not this other man. I came from someone different that I can identify with, someone that loves sports, someone that loves art like me, someone who is tall and blonde just like me. I came from this, this, this dad. And um, we didn't get to talk much about how that influenced the purpose of her life and where she went from there, but one thing she mentioned was how helpful it was to know where she came from. Um, that she came from a different line of people than she thought she had all these years. And this made me think that she was realizing she could identify with her donor dad because she came from him. Who she is made a lot more sense to her 
after that day. So I think this is a physical example of a deeper spirituality, spiritual reality. We can find in the Bible, by the way, um, I just want to quickly honor the word of God. Um, I love it. We're going to use it a lot tonight because it's brilliant. Um, and so I just, I just pray over all of you um, that you would let it come to life for you tonight. So quick honor to the Bible. And in it, um, we can find that Jesus was fully aware and walking in his identity as son to the God of the universe. And we can also see how it is modeled for us to be fully aware of and walk in our own identity as God's children. So there's a beautiful, well-known story in John 13 where Jesus recognizes that he's about to be betrayed and crucified. And so he washes the feet of his disciples as an example to them of how they should love one another. And before washing their feet, it says this, starting in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So if, I'm going to pause right there. If you notice, it says that Jesus knew that he had come from the Father, and therefore he knows his identity as son of God. And the text seems to imply that this recognition, right, of, of who he is in relationship to his Father actually keeps him moving forward. It says, knowing this, knowing that he was going back to the Father, he rose from supper. He knows who he is, and he knows what this means for his future. This passage is in the context of being right before Jesus goes to the cross. So we're going to come back to this story a bit later, if you'll just move on with me for now. So when we read about Jesus in the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, and the New Testament, we get several glimpses of Jesus being affirmed in his identity as Son of God by his Father. So one of them is in Luke 3, 22 where Jesus had not yet began his ministry on earth, begun, I guess. So if you'll turn or scroll with me or read it up on the screen, um, I want you not only to read, actually, if you can turn to it or scroll with it, if possible, that would be great, because I want you to not only read this verse, um, but I want you to catch what's after it as well. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And a few things I want to point out as we read how Jesus is spoken over by his Father in heaven. One is that his identity as Son was given and inherited, both as Son of God and Son of Man. So we see identity as Son of God simply in his father saying, man, you're my son. Identity as son of man is shown through the genealogy that follows. So that's where you keep on reading in Luke 3. There's also another one, um, if you want to look at it, it's in Matthew 1, 1 through 17. 
Um, and both genealogies are line of human fathers and mothers. Um, I know the one for sure in Matthew is 42 generations long um, from Jesus to God the Father. The one in Luke goes from God the Father to Jesus. But either way, there's generation upon generation upon generation of human fathers and mothers that lead up to um, Jesus. So these genealogies, by connecting God to Jesus through human family lines, I believe are essentially making a link between God to man through Jesus. Did that make sense? Yeah? I'm going to read that one more time. These genealogies, by connecting God to Jesus through family lines, I believe are essentially making a link between God to man through Jesus. So a mystery that I don't fully have time to go into tonight, um, but I encourage you to go into it with your small groups, the people you came with, um, if it is really like, man, this is kind of confusing, or I want to know more about this. Um, is Jesus being son of God and still fully God? Um, and I want to clarify this as we move forward, just knowing, yeah, there could be potentially confusion if we're not aware that Jesus, while son of God, also operates in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit, all three of those persons being one unified God, but Jesus being the person in that trinity that is fully God and then also fully man. In Luke 1, starting in verse 30, we see this unified God in action and see how Jesus becomes both son of God and son of man. So Jesus' is human mother, whoa, sorry, I skipped a line, when an angel visits Mary, who becomes Jesus' human mother, Scripture says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we be, will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom there will be no end. So just thinking about that, I'm realizing that in Jesus, we're finding both an inherited sonship from his human mother and from God. Um, in the Gospels, we see Jesus referred to at times as son of man, other times as son of God. Both are very important and equally true at all times and highlight that Jesus, regardless, is son. So why did I take all that time to try to explain that? <laughs> Um, why does that even matter? So remember when I was telling you the story of a massage therapist being able to identify with her donor dad. Can we not also say that we can identify with Jesus because he walked this earth fully human, fully aware of this, just like us? In the beginning, it says that we were made in his image. That's Genesis 1, 26 through 27. We came from Jesus. In ESV... Romans 11, English Standard Version, Romans 11:36, it says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. And in the New King James Version, it says, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Yeah, amen. At the same time, we can also have a share with him in the family of God, not just of man which Jesus models for us and makes a way for us. C.S. Lewis says it this way, the Son of God becomes a man so man can become a Son of God. So let's go back to John 13 for a moment. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. 
his disciple Peter asks about it, and this is what follows. Jesus says to Peter in verse 7, What I am doing you do not understand now, but after you will understand. Peter said to him, you, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. We don't read Jesus explain um, directly in the scripture what he means by this, but um, I think that other scriptures easily point to this idea that Jesus could be referring to a share as um, adoption into the family of God or inheritance of the same gift of eternal life that God offers to each of us. John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Close to Jesus being betrayed and being crucified, Luke 22.19-20 says, as a, rep as a representation of what is to come through his crucifixion, Jesus breaks bread with his disciples before he's betrayed, before he's crucified, and he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also takes a cup and says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Why does he lay down his human life for us in this way? The same Peter whose feet were washed by Jesus says in his book, 1 Peter 1, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is saying a lot, but one thing that sticks out to me is by his death and resurrection, we have a share with him. We have an inheritance, a right to become children of God. We're going to go back to John 13 one more time, um, where Jesus continues on to say, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And I wonder then if this is one of the things that, that Jesus means by having a share with him, is doing the things he does because of being able to identify with him. Does that make sense? Yeah? Pause for a moment. Revisit those questions that I asked earlier. Who am I? Whose am I and how does it influence who I am? And what should I do in light of these two things? Let's return to Luke chapter 3, 22 again. I'm going to reread it so you can be reminded of what it said. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. I said this earlier, but let's make note of it again, that Jesus begins, before Jesus begins his ministry on earth, God the Father speaks this over him. You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. This is affirming Jesus' identity as son before he even began his work for God. I think about if Jesus' relationship with his father 
models the share we receive from the Father. If we have chosen him, if we choose him, then we can hear the Father speaking the same thing over us. This is my dearly loved son. This is my dearly loved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Um, and this really gets me. I don't know about you, but I have struggled before gaining more and more responsibility um, in my family, in my work. Um, even when I say it's all for God, when I wrongly assume that I have to work for that spot in God's heart as beloved and approved. Has anybody else struggled with that before? Or is that just me? Cool. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, reads this to those who receive Jesus and follow him. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It is your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And there's so much in this one passage too. Um, I wish we could just read the Bible all night together. Um, but one thing I realize is that our identity as child, um, and a child of God, not of the worldly passions, desires, temptations that that passage just spoke of, but our identity as child of God is not given. I'm sorry, it is given. <laughs> it's not earned. And so it is a grace. But we are responsible for learning it and walking in it which is part of faith. By grace through faith, we are saved. By grace through faith, we can be children of God. One way I can think of to walk as a child of God is to follow the example of Jesus in dependence on his heavenly father. It says several times in the scripture that Jesus, when he was on the earth, um, before he died and before he was resurrected, he spent time alone with his father. Um, Jesus himself also says that he does what the father does. Um, and he says, this when he, he says this when he says, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, that son does likewise. Elizabeth, you can come up. <laughs> Our definitions in the beginning got a couple things right. The first is that identity does not come from us alone. Even further, after looking at the word together, it does not come from us at all, but rather from a loving parent to his child. As Jesus not only modeled for us, but also made a way for us, in this way we have a share with him. The second is that our sense of being, our sense of identity, 
influences what we do. When we know we come from the Father, we, like Jesus, do what the Father does. In this way, we have a share with Jesus. Lamentations 3 tells us that the Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. This last winter, Eric and I both had sisters who had firstborn daughters. Um, I should have thrown a picture up there. I didn't even think about it. But I remember so distinctly one night I was holding Eric's niece, Eleanor, um, and she was like five pounds, so she was so small. And yeah, I was um, just sitting late night in the quiet with her. Um, she was so dependent on me holding her in her arms. And I believe I just heard the Lord out of nowhere just gently say to me, you will never outgrow me seeing you this way. See, in the midst of all my responsibilities at the time, I also believe I heard him say, you will always be a child in my eyes. Soon after that, a pastor at a church, um, Eric and I got to speak at, prayed over us after the service. And he said, God, thank you for these kids that are boldly going to Boulder to tell others about Christ. And that meant so much to me that he called me a kid. <laughs> In a season where I felt the pressure of responsibility starting to hide my identity as child from me. Possibly more than ever, I had needed to remember my dependency on him, not just to live in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual sense. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. Consider this in the context of being called to be a child of God found in Christ. If you are not a follower of Christ, are you willing to consider yourself not your own? Are you willing to ask the question, whose am I rather than just who am I? Because whether you consider yourself to be a child of God in Christ versus a determiner of your own identity, it changes everything, I promise. If you are a follower of Christ, I want to ask you, have you been looking for your identity in anything other than Christ? And if so, I invite you to consider what Jesus has done for you in order that you would simply be a child in the same heavenly family as him and return to being dependent and not independent. So I want you all to take a few minutes to consider these questions in response to God's love for you, and then we're going to continue on in worship.